What started as a curiosity about a unique sounding instrument has led you to the top of our nation's capital city, specifically to the top of the Washington National Cathedral. And a reminder that behind the ubiquitous ringing bells, there's a man who has traveled far and wide and that his initial curiosity led to a lifetime of music. As Oscar Hammerstein once said, a bell is not a bell until you ring it. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Whenever I play at the Netherlands Carillon or Washington National Cathedral, one has to be ready to play solemn music at a moment's notice. When Ted Kennedy was being buried at Arlington Cemetery next to his brother, the funeral cortege happened to come over Memorial Bridge during the time of an evening carillon recital. So I noticed all these people were walking through the park. And I said, well, they're not all coming to hear the carillon recital. There's thousands of people here. They're heading down to Memorial Bridge to pay their respects and watch the funeral procession. So I switched over and played when Irish eyes are smiling. At Washington Cathedral, we often play solemn music, but we can have an element of whimsy if the occasion demands it. I've played for some events where it might be a corporate evening event for uh, some lawyers. And I was told that this is a young crowd. They like music of the 70s. So, Stairway to Heaven works for me. Sounded good on the bells, too. This week, listening to your music blanketing Amsterdam, hearing Stairway to Heaven from the top of the National Cathedral, and playing a very special funeral service for Senator J. William Fulbright. Join us on a journey from Virginia to Amsterdam and hitting all the right notes. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Edward Nassor. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. I am the caroliner of Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. The carillon is a unique musical instrument of tower bells that are played from a keyboard, resembling an organ keyboard. There's keys you can play with your hands, and there's pedals that you play with your feet. The carillon at Washington Cathedral has 53 bells and that makes it a grand carillon. I became interested in carillon when I was a music student at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. I wanted to study all the keyboard instruments, and I took the opportunity to take some carillon lessons. I didn't know the carillon was a keyboard instrument when I first read about it, but I was trying to imagine in my mind what large bells in a tower would sound like and how you would play them from a keyboard. Well, once I was introduced to the carillon, I was hooked.
It felt like playing a giant piano in the sky. You're 200 feet above the ground, playing an instrument that can be heard for miles around. The bells are big enough to stand in. Some weigh 10 tons. Others weigh 17 pounds, as big as a handbell you might hold. So I studied the carillon for three years. And then when I left and graduated, I sought further carillon lessons. I started attending local carillon recitals. One of them, a weekly recital, was at the Netherlands Carillon in Arlington, Virginia. I met the caroliner there. I soon began studying with the caroliner there. Eventually, I was appointed the caroliner of the Netherlands Carillon after my teacher had passed away, and I learned that there was a Dutch carillon school. As I was finishing my master's, I applied for Fulbright grant to study in Holland. While I was in the application process, a vacancy opened at Washington National Cathedral several months after I was appointed the cathedral caroliner. Then, the Fulbright grant came through. Fantastic! I have a year study grant, but I just got the best job you'll ever get in the United States playing the carillon. Fortunately, I'm probably the only person who received a sabbatical their first year. I was not the first Fulbrighter to study Carillon in Europe, but I was the first Fulbrighter to study Carillon at the Dutch Carillon School. And after that, uh, many people followed in my path, and I um, consulted and mentored a few of them to get started, and now it's not too unusual to do that. One assumption I had about the Dutch culture was totally wrong. I knew that it was a fairly liberal society and certain things were legal in Holland that were not in the United States. So I figured, oh, the Dutch students, especially music students, are probably party animals. No, they're very serious. They practiced, practiced, practiced. Their drug of choice was caffeine and nicotine. But that was an important year. The study I had at the Netherlands Carillon School gave me the repertoire and the tools I needed to build the repertoire that I would need both at the Netherlands Carillon and Washington National Cathedral, where you have to change your program every week. When I first arrived in the Netherlands, my ears were on fire. It felt like I had been transported through a window back in time to the 17th century because there are many historical carillons made anywhere from the late 1500s to the early 1700s. Here, you heard the actual instruments with the same tuning that they've had for 300 years sitting in the towers. And they play on the hour. It was just such a treat. Really felt like I had stepped into another world. I was fortunate that I went to a modern European country. I saw a lot of similarities with our culture in America, not a lot of differences. The Dutch are such a warm and open, friendly people that it was easy to acclimate myself there. 
when I would develop programs for the Carillon, I would do it often in the same format that I would in the United States. I would play folk songs, although these would now be Dutch folk songs. I would play light classical music that would be familiar, say uh, Beethoven, Verdi, Dvorak, what have you. And then I would also play original music written for Carillon. I got to learn much of the current and recent uh, Dutch Carillon style, which was really fascinating, and I couldn't wait to bring it back to the United States to play in the Netherlands Carillon. One of the times I felt particularly proud was when I passed my recital exam. This was like your bachelor's degree music recital. It was given in a tower and broadcast on the radio, and there were the public was out there and invited to hear it. And, of course, it was graded, and it was not only music and arrangements you made, it was also improvisations where the professors would give you a melody as you walked up the tower, and you had that long to figure out how to play it. A big surprise for me was the day I was visiting my teacher in Amsterdam. He was the caroliner of the Outer Kirk, the oldest church in Amsterdam. And as I was walking up to the house, the hour strike was playing, and there's a melody that plays before the hour strike. And I was thinking, boy, that's really familiar. I like that tune. And then I realized, oh, that's my arrangement of a guitar piece. My teacher had taken the time to change the 17th century pin drum with hundreds of pins to put that melody on the automatic bells. And that was a real treat to hear uh, my music played over Amsterdam. When I close my eyes and think about my exchange to the Netherlands, I can almost hear the early tuning from the 16th century, the mean tone tuning. I can uh, smell the marketplace smells of herring and coffee and stropwaffles. And a lot of this is because as a large part of my studies, I would play market recitals. So the carillon, typically in Holland, played before, during, and at the closing of the open-air markets. And so there was no better time to find the culture of the place, but in between playing to go down and just take in the sights and smells of the marketplace. I feel really fortunate that I had the opportunity to study in the Netherlands and to see the European Carillon culture. While I was there, I traveled to Germany, Denmark, Belgium, France, played many different places and saw the culture and what the different communities did with their bells, how they used them, which events the bells were made to play for. There's an American Carillon culture and there's a European Carillon culture, and had I stayed in America, I would not really feel as if I could be a Caroliner of the world because I would know my folk songs. I would know the American 
repertoire that was built for the American instruments. The American instruments are quite different. Many of them are grand carillons with an extended range. This leads to larger bells, wider towers, and when it comes to the music itself, the arrangements also have wider intervals and more space between the notes because these large bells resonate so much more fully that they take up the space. And a lot of the European music was like filigree, and it was just so beautiful to match the two styles and come up with a style that works for me. There's a huge ripple effect from my studies at the Netherlands. To get my degree in Campanology from the Dutch Carillon School, my thesis was the ideal way to restore the Netherlands Carillon. The Carillon was given to the United States in the 1950s based on historic Dutch instruments. So my plan was to add three bells, switch the keyboard so C sounded C, and then we'd have a completely modern instrument. About three years ago, when the Dutch technicians were working on the Netherlands Carillon, the um, technician in charge said, oh, by the way, Ed, um, we found your plan from the 90s for the Carillon, <clears throat> and we're going to propose it to the embassy. Well, uh, we're in process now. We uh, expect the bells will be removed during the fall of 19 and come back sometime with three additional bells and we should have a brand new, completely modern instrument in concert pitch, a grand carillon, worthy of the best of the Dutch carillons. I'm not sure that the instrument would have been changed at all or updated had it not been for my study in the Netherlands because the idea was, what's the ideal of this instrument? What could it become? In most historic instruments, people try to preserve what is. And if that's very old-fashioned or outdated, so be it, because that's a window on the culture of the 1950s. But the Dutch Carillon culture continues to improve. We have active exchanges where Dutch Carilloners come over and play here and Americans go over and play there. So it's kind of an, a happy open market where we share a lot with each other and also what would be the best dispositions of these instruments. So I'm so pleased. And I think this can only happen when the caroliner is completely for it and works tirelessly towards it. And you have a receptive country and embassy and the staff of the Royal Dutch Embassy has been fantastic support for this. The National Park Service has been supporting this. It's really a dream come true. Most caroliners are lucky if they can have one restoration in their lifetime, and this would be the second in my career here. And I hope this restoration will be one that will last for generations.
The Dutch gave the United States and Netherlands Carillon in appreciation for aid and assistance during and after World War II. The first bell was presented by Queen Juliana to President Truman as a token of the Carillon to come. The Carillon first came in 1954, and the permanent tower is in Arlington, Virginia, at in Arlington Ridge Park, in a direct access with the monumental corridor of the Capitol, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and the Netherlands Carillon is the final part of that corridor. And it's quite an honor to be in such a location. And when you play the bells there, you have the entire vista of Washington, D.C. in front of you. And it's an extraordinary view, an extraordinary feeling to be up there. And such a gift to be able to play music on that instrument in this location with people from all around the world as your audience. Here at the National Cathedral, many people think that we're extremely serious, but in fact, we're quite flexible. We can go anywhere from a state funeral with all the due respect and pomp that is necessary to a pancake race with clergy flipping pancakes in the nave on Shrove Tuesday. For example, I'll play a program this afternoon where I'll start with a very serious Lenten hymn because we are in the liturgical season of Lent. But it's also the peak time of the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. So I'll play some variations on the Japanese uh, Cherry Blossom song, Sakura Sakura. Interestingly enough, I got these arrangements of Japanese music from students I studied with, Japanese students who were also attending the Netherlands Carillon School at the same time I was. So we have this exchange where they play American folk songs over there, I play their songs here. This became really special when the cathedral did a solemn anniversary service for the victims of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. One of the students I studied with was a child of a man who was a Hiroshima survivor when he was six years old. And I played her arrangement at this uh, commemorative service. I think it touched a lot of hearts in a couple of continents when I was able to play that music. Uh, Thank you, Yuko, for your beautiful music. Then again, years later, we did a commemorative service in support of the Japanese flood victims after Fukushima. And I played a program of Japanese folk songs and the famous Spring Sea piece, which is a well-known light classical piece in Japan. And the cathedral received letters which were directed to my uh, music director who informed me that people in the audience were very moved and crying because they heard the music of their childhood when they came to the cathedral to remember their home country. So to me, that's the Fulbright difference.
flexibility is a key to being a caroliner in a city where things are constantly changing. Dave Brubeck was in town giving a choral concert at Washington Cathedral of his religious works. And I said to the director of the Choral Society, oh, I could play his music on the bells. And I said, oh, you could not. He'd never recognize it. I said, what time are you going to lunch? So when they left the cathedral, I played Take Five on the carillon. And the next week, I received a lovely uh, signed concert poster. Hey, Ed, thanks for Take Five on the carillon. Dave Brubeck. One of the highlights that I'll always remember was the two concerts I'd played with Ravi Shankar. This was in the early 1990s when he was doing benefit concerts for victims in the Yugoslavian wars, also Bangladesh, and all the proceeds went to these children's charities. And he came. His daughter Nushka was his disciple at that point, studying with him. And his wife also played with them, and a famous percussionist, Hussein. One of the things he asked was, you have bells here, I remember, when I played here a long time ago. I said, yes. He said, are they in tune? I said, of course. He said, no, I mean, are they in A440 tuning? And I said, yes. And he sends up his uh, aide to go up there with a tuner and confirm that they were. Well, once they, he was satisfied that they were in tune, he said, good. I'd like you to play in my finale piece. And it was a prayer of peace. And it has a little bell motif that comes in the middle and at the end of the piece. And I was, Ravi Shankar was performing in the nave of the cathedral, but we had an audio hookup to the tower so I could hear them. And then what I played was broadcast into the cathedral. So that's how I got to perform two nights with Ravi Shankar for a children's benefit. In my role as Carolyn Err at Washington National Cathedral, I've had the occasion to play for many a solemn service. I've played for state funerals of Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, and George H.W. Bush. One of the most memorable and personally satisfying ones for me was to play for the funeral of J. William Fulbright in 1995. Being a Fulbright scholar, I felt like I owed the family and the program a lot, and I was so pleased that I was in a position to provide a dignified carillon prelude for him. And in planning the service, many people called the cathedral and said, well, I'm a Fulbright scholar, in music, may I perform at the service? And the cathedral had to say, I'm sorry, but we already have a Fulbright musician on staff, but thank you for your interest. I played a patriotic program with a lot of heroic music and um, based between classical and American music, and Aaron Copeland, Fanfare for the Common Man, and other um, standard pieces that would be very recognizable, and some of the best music that our country had to offer.
2233 is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Carolineur Edward Nasser shared stories from his Fulbright exchange to the Netherlands and from his time as the longest-serving Carolineur at the Washington National Cathedral. For more about Fulbright and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do it wherever you find your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And you can check us out on Instagram at 2233stories. Huge special thanks to Edward, not only for sharing his stories, but for taking me to the very top of the Washington National Cathedral to watch and record him playing. I did the interview and edited this segment. All of the music you heard featured Edward playing the National Cathedral's Carolyn. I recorded the longer excerpt, which was the traditional Japanese song Edward referred to in the story. Music at the top of this episode was Quatrefoil by Poddington Bear, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time. <laughs>